As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane. Um, as we're going to explain in a few seconds time, the world's most schizophrenic um, podcast, um, such as the way Spurs play, and it turns out, uh, the world's most romantic podcast. Regular listeners will know that uh, during the course of the podcast's history, Jack Pitbrook got married, Charlie Eckershire had a baby, I got married a couple of weeks ago, and Tom, my producer, has also got married in the last few days, so congratulations to him. Yeah, yeah. For- congratulations everyone. Yeah, and oh, sorry, and James bought a new pen. Um, yeah, so it's, it's yeah, really yeah, yeah. been a time of great progress for everybody. Um, so, and uh, of course, really congratulations to everybody else who, hearing this wonderful podcast, has decided to take the plunge. And I'm Danny Kelly, and the, joining me on the podcast today is the aforementioned Charlie Eccleshire, and that voice you just heard, that of James Moore. Now, the reason perhaps I'm overexcited is that after a miserable run of form for Spurs, but particularly for James who hasn't been able to celebrate a Spurs win with us here on the podcast for all my, well, not this year, actually. He's back, back, back. I'm delighted to say it's coincided a victory with his appearance. He joins us today after that comprehensive victory over Everson last night. And let's be honest about it. It was a fantastic night for Spurs. Uh, the way the stadium reacted to the Ukraine war, uh, Deli Alley's return. And this time round, just because Everton were, frankly, appalling, I don't think we should be too down on that. We'll, we'll go with the fact that Spurs played really, really well. Who wants to... Uh, James, because you have indeed not been able to crow over a victory for so long, I'll let you start. What about that win? Um, I, I thought that was the most I've enjoyed a game at that stadium. I, I, certainly, in, I, I reckon maybe ever. I mean, obviously, the early, you know, beating Man City in that Champions League. So I missed the, all the league wins over Manchester City, full disclosure. Right. But maybe the Champions League went over Manchester City, but because it was the first leg, it was very exciting, but it didn't feel like it, it, it was necessarily progress. Uh, and obviously the Palace game, the first game was amazing. But in terms of like how well Spurs played, it felt like one of those games at Wembley when, I mean, I think there was a game against Everton that they won 4-0 or 5-0 on the night that we thought the world was going to end because there was that North Korean mm. uh, missile 
Yeah. I mean, there'd never be any risk of anything like that happening <laughs> I mean, now, obviously. The no, January quite. 2018 um, one. was a much quieter place now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, was su- it was such a good performance. And, and I think, I mean, you're right, Danny, you know, there'll be a lot of chat about how bad Everton were. And I don't think we should be shy to get stuck into Frank Lampard, really. But Spurs were very good, very good. And they made them look, I mean, they are bad, but they made them look worse. Uh, and, you know, it just looks confident. Everyone's having a good time. I don't think there was a player out there who would have walked off the pitch kind of disappointed that they hadn't contributed to the performance um, to win a game five. You can't you can't turn your nose out winning a game five nil in the Premier League. Not against a proper team like Everton. It's not like, you know, they're playing Huddersfield or someone. Well, I, I, I take your first point, really. I think wins in the Premier League are... Unless you're, you know, a, one of the two super sides that we currently have, they all have to be ground out of the cold, hard earth. So that was that was lovely, and there was no grinding with it. They supposed played some lovely skipping, flicking football. Charlie, what was your impressions of, of the game overall? Yeah, I mean, Everton played into Spurs's hands. I think it's fair to say that. I tweeted it looked as though Frank Lampard had watched that game last season where Spurs went and beat Southampton five two. And Kane was just flicking past into Son and basically told his players, yeah, yeah, do that. Do what Southampton are doing. That will work. Um, so, yeah, they, they helped. But, I mean, Spurs were clinical. Looked like scoring every time they went forward. I think what's really important as well is that they didn't just win. They massively closed the goal difference gap to Arsenal, which, given it's a three-point gap, could be really important. I mean, this for, for a team that had a negative goal difference going into the Leeds game, to think that their goal difference is now up to plus eight, and that it's, you know, that that Arsenal goal difference is within reach. That's a really tangible benefit as well. You know, it it's why winning 5-0 really mattered. It wasn't, you know, because this is one of those games they could have taken their foot off the gas. Uh, and maybe they did to an extent, but they, they did. But I mean, they, yeah. but they could have won this game 2 or 3-0. And we'd still have been like, yeah, great result. Just got to win this game and move on. They absolutely battered them. And... You know, for, for the Spurs fans, having the added Schadenfreude of it being Frank Lampard was obviously delicious. The fact that Delhi came back in the best possible way that we could be incredibly generous with our applause and our not patronizing, but you know, you're, you're very generous. You can be very magnanimous when you're winning easily, can't you? If he'd come back and scored a late equalizer, I don't think we'd all be like, oh, I'm so chuffed that that Delhi's doing well. The circumstances meant, Charlie, that I, was, I, I actually thought that poor man, he needs to wear a crash helmet because he was getting patted on the top well, of the head by, se- by 60,000 yeah. people, wasn't he? <laughs> I actually thought it was a bit of a masterstroke from Lampard because it was 5-0 after, what, like an hour, yeah. maybe even maybe even a bit earlier than that. And he, he chucks on... Uh, Michalenko and Deli Alley, yeah, in the 60 to 65 minute mark, like, and really takes this thing out of the game because you know, obviously, both of them got a good reception quite right when they came on the pitch, yeah, quite rightly, yeah. Uh, and it really completely took the sting out of it from that point, yeah. And it was a bit of a, I mean, I was gonna say, procession, it was more of a procession in the first 65 minutes, but you know, it it was almost a non event after that. Uh, and I guess you know, suppose have Manchester United on Saturday in mind, you would have thought, and it is only sensible to kind of be, uh, to kind of hold back a little bit. But yeah, it was that last twenty-five minutes was just absolutely nothing. Yeah, and and you know the idea that all English teams have to go right to the very last minute, which is one of the reasons I love English football. Slightly uh, again devalued by the by them taking off Calvert Lewin um, for future events, shall we say? We want to keep this absolutely joyous. I think that's fair to say, but it is worth having a quick reflection on what what, what Everton did. Why did they? Why would they? Having seen a succession of 
teams with perhaps less firepower than Spurs adopt what I used to call, you know, a defensive uh, lineup. Now it gets called a low block and play on the break. Why would Everton? I mean, uh, Frank Lampard has been, he went to the, the public school, the, the so called cathedral in Brentwood. He's not a stupid man, he's had an education. Why would he line up so high up the pitch against, particularly against Kane and so on? Why would he do that? I mean, it's almost like speaking a bit of Latin isn't going to help you organise a defence. Or the, or, the, or, the, or the country, for that matter, yeah. Or that, that, yeah, exactly, yeah, good point. I was really surprised by Everton's approach. And, and I get, you know, the plan wouldn't have been to be 2-0 down after 17 minutes. No. But Spurs, there was definitely potential for Spurs to, to piss the bed, you know, at 2-0 after 70 minutes. You could see people getting a bit anxious if that had happened. But Everton just completely, just threw players forward. The second, the second half of the first half, they were, they were flying forward. So many, so many players. And obviously Spurs scored the third goal, you know, from a kind of counter-attack. Had another couple of good opportunities as well. They could easily have been four or five up at half-time. It just seems mad to me that Everton didn't kind of try and get a foothold in the game properly and, you know, take the sting out of it a little bit earlier and kind of slow Spurs down, stop them trying to play like that. And that's the, we know that's how Spurs will play if they can. And if they're, like you say, if they're presented with a low block, they find it much more difficult. And even at 2-0 down, I think it would have been way more sensible for Everton to have just like, you know, sat back, frustrated Spurs a bit, you know, get a bit further into the game. And like I say, if it, if it had been 2-0 after 70 minutes, but could have got a little bit nervous, I think. Mm. We've spoken before. I mean, we, we saw Middlesbrough do it. We saw Morecambe frustrate Spurs for long yeah. spells. And admittedly, it wasn't a first choice, but it's pretty obvious what the... The kind of way to hurt this team, you know, you look at their sequence of results, beat City, beat Leeds, lost in that time to Burnley, Middlesbrough. I mean, it's, you know, it doesn't take a tactical genius to work out the common denominators there. So I guess you'd say Lampard either felt he didn't have the personnel to play in the way Middlesbrough did. He didn't have the humility to say we're going to go and shut up shop and try and make life really difficult for Spurs, who are clearly a superior team. Uh, or he... I don't know. He he didn't have the doesn't have the kind of tactical ability to organise a defence to do that in the way that we've seen Chris Wilder do it. We've seen Sean Dyche do it. Um, so one of those three are a combination, or you know <laughs> something else. But it, it was it was baffling. You know, all of us, everyone going into that game said, you know, that they've got to they've got to make this awkward for Spurs. And as James says, when there's so much at stake, not even two 0 but you know, you get to get to half an hour at nil nil. And suddenly fans are murmuring and a mm. bit like, oh, you know, we've had Burnley, we've had Middlesbrough, why can't we break down these... T-? You know, it, it doesn't take much for fans to to get tetchy, especially when there is a lot at stake. There's a top four place. So it was ugh, horribly ill-advised. Yeah. Um, all the funnier for it. Yeah, yeah. of course. All, 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 all the much more fun for that. Now I'm going to set you a difficult task, finding new words. We're going to go through some of the players who had a, who had a, a good night. And that, that as, as James pointed out earlier, there was none of them who had a night that wasn't at least excellent. Um, we have to find new words to describe what Kane and Son are because they break a new record virtually every game. Um, Kane goes past Thierry Henry. Let, uh, let flags be raised on all public buildings with that. In the Premier League goals, he's closing in. He, he, he could have caught Frank Lampard last night with a bit more luck. But they were, they were again, allowing for the opposition, they were magnificent again last night. I mean, it's rare you can say when you're watching your own team play, 
my goodness, it's just fun to watch something. And they were just fun to watch. Yeah, and I think that's why it felt a bit like that kind of, you know, in that kind of 2017-18 season, once I kind of got used to playing at Wembley, there were a lot of games where, and actually in 16-17 as well, there were a lot of games that they won kind of four or five nil against sort of mid-table teams and down, where they played some really good football, scored a lot of really clever goals, you know, and, and they could have scored a lot more. There were, there were days where, you know, chances didn't go in, but they tried like inventive things and it was great to watch. And it was a lot more like that. And to be fair... You know, I think we, we were kind of stupidly sceptical of Kulazewski after the first game or two, which is ludicrous, really. And I think we did say that at the time. Yeah, He is starting to kind of click into gear now. And he feels like he, he is he could... I mean, there, look, there was a moment where, for the second goal, Kane makes a very good little flicked pass inside. Kulazewski makes a similar pass on to Son. And then Son finishes. And, you know, you can say Pickford should have saved it. Fine. Sure. But that was a very good move involving the three of them which actually is quite encouraging if Kulisevsky can be involved in the middle of that with the two of them. If they can find like a kind of freeway link up and Kulisevsky can start getting a few more goals as well or continue to score goals. I mean, that's going to be even... You know, we, we talked about how important it was to find another goal scorer. And, and this system, you know, and I know I've been quite critical of it, particularly with the two in midfield, but this system undeniably does present you with the opportunity to score way more goals and to get more people into goal-scoring opportunities. And again, not just Kulazewski, but Reggion for the fourth goal. Uh, you know, like, like Doherty at Leeds, when you've got the wing-back attacking the far post, you're always going to have like... You basically, you've got an extra player over in an attacking situation to overload the far post that you pro- probably wouldn't have had in a back with a, in a system of a back four. So, you know, it does present itself. You only know, have to look at how... I mean, how many goals had Spurs scored pre-Man City? So what will it have been... 12, so it's 28 after 22 games. Hopeless. And now they're on 40 after 26. Obviously, you've got a, a blank against Burnley in the middle of that. But no, it's, it's undeniable, but they have looked far better going forward in the last sort of month or so. And five uh, five goal involvements in six games now for Kulisevsky, which begs the, begs the question, Charlie, um, since we were talking about Kane and Son. And again, uh, allowing at the other end of the scale of not overreacting to 20 minutes as a substitute, not overreacting to anybody's first half dozen games with the club, but it does appear that he either is or certainly has the potential to even improve the Kane-Son partnership. Yeah, I mean, the way he... Bit of a cliche, but that greases the wheels. I mean, he does seem to just make the team operate more efficiently. Like James says, that that assist for Son was, was really good and he's done a lot of that. I mean, in that Wolves game where he came on in a slightly more central role, he put Son through for one that Son didn't get his shot off and, and he was you could see he was starting to link play there and that was obviously in a defeat. And since then, he's just gone up a level, getting goals, assists regularly. I mean, Conte made the point that he, after the uh, Leeds game, that he could have scored in all four of his previous appearances, which is true. He takes up really good positions He's, he's fairly two-footed as well. I know he prefers, obviously, to come in and play off the left, which you know, most players have a preference. But we saw for the assist for Regulon's goal, he doesn't mind putting it in on his right. And that makes a massive difference for someone who's playing you know, nominally on one of the flanks. He's very versatile as well. He, you know, he's played, filled in at right wing back. In the City game, he was playing nominally on the right wing, but he was doing so much shuttling back. He can play in that number 10. So he, he does give them a lot of options. And, and given that they don't have a huge amount of personnel. I mean, that was the area James said after the end of the transfer window, which I think is true. They were maybe one player short because they've got five attackers for those three positions. He almost, because he can play in so many different positions, is like having two players there. So, um, 
yeah, very, very impressive from him. And yeah, we didn't think that Kane and Son could get any better in a way. And we, and we thought that the way to get the best out of them might be just let them play as a pair. That was what most of us anticipated Conte doing, given he's had such success with strike partnerships before. But yeah, Kudusevsky making a really big difference. Yeah, and I think um, it, sometimes it's, it's worth us pulling ourselves up because as both fans and people who are paid to talk about the game, you know, the initial sight of Kulusevsky was that he doesn't have a great deal of pace. And that's what we commented on. But of course, people bring all kinds of things to the party. He's very strong. And that at times is very important as well. We talked about Kane's ability to hold people off and he's doing it very, very well now as well. Puts himself about as well, which is encouraging. Indeed, but we'll get on to Christian Romero and, the, and other levels of putting yourself about in just a little while. <laughs> I'm not sure that's putting yourself about. That, thank you. Uh, no, no, that's, that's putting other people Good. about. You've set the bar for putting yourself about and now we'll talk about Christian a little later. But first, I think we must turn... And I don't know what, you know, each person, or each person listening to the podcast will have their own signifier of celebration. Uh, for me, it's always bunting in village streets. Um, and so the, uh, the uh, gre- green, white and blue, uh, green, the green, white and gold bunting for the Republic of Ireland was out last night because you'd be hard pressed to take the man of the match award off Harry Kane. But I actually thought that the most impressive player on the pitch I nearly said for Spurs there, that was blinking obvious, wasn't it? Um, was Matt Doherty. I can't work out whether we're going to start calling him Dohadino, um, or, 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 or I'm going to try and find a, a proper name for him. But the interesting thing about it, whichever you want to answer this question first, is not just how well he played and not just the two assists he got, but the amazing positions he got himself into. Mm. Our colleague... Jack talks about an agent of chaos, but last night the chaos looked to me to be tactical. That that's where he was playing as an inside right. Yeah, Trent Alexander Doherty. I mean, he was taking yeah. these positions <laughs> up that we we associate with Trent, or that you know City used to do that with Philip Lahm. Uh, sorry, Bayern Munich yep. used to do that with Philip Lahm. It's a favourite of Guardiola, and I'm not suggesting that he is at their level before. Uh, people he's way, that, he's way above that level Philip yeah, Lahm he's, now they're not, they're not Lahm never did it in off. the Premier League Lahm never did it in the Premier League no. well yeah exactly yeah. Um, no I mean he was taking up really really intelligent positions and obviously that's been worked on and then absolutely nailing his pass I mean he got the two assists and he could have had a hat trick of assists because he put Son through with a similarly um, accurate pass almost scored himself obviously coming off the back of uh, scoring at Leeds in, in the last Premier League game. It was, yeah, so impressive from him and, and does show, again, the value of proper coaching. The chip for uh, for Kane's second, and what a take it was by Harry Kane. He practised it at Leeds, hadn't he? And now he perfects it mm. further out um, last night against Everton. That was that was Hollywood. You're, you're three or four up in the game. Um, and, you know, we could all see the way he leant back and did that thing with his shoulder, dropping his left shoulder, that it was like when you're practising to play a game rather than actually playing. But the instinctive mm. through ball for Kane to run onto for the other goal, I thought was even more impressive. I would say what we do know is that his confidence did take a big hit, certainly last season, having been someone who had actually done gotten very well with Nuno at Wolves yes. and you know, and had that relationship and, and been a really valued part of that, you know, very impressive upwardly mobile Wolves team. Then then his confidence did take a hit. I've spoken about this before that, you know, asked I've asked him before about playing right back compared to right wing back. That was a tough readjustment for him. Now he is getting to play in his preferred position and doing it with the you know, wing-back whisperer, Antonio Conte. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's looking really good for him. Oh, and again, obviously, you know, in the same way we... <laughs> there, there were people criticising Kulisevsky after 20 minutes. There'll be people saying, 
He's played well against Everton and Leeds, let's see, on a consistent basis, uh, which obviously is the challenge for him. But again, if you can't get excited by a player seemingly morphing into one of the best fullbacks in the world, then what can you get excited about? Nothing. There's nothing more exciting than seeing a player morphing into one of the best in the world. On the other side of the pitch, um, Ryan Sessegnon, I think, very significantly significantly picked for the um, was it fifth, sixth successive game. Albeit um, that uh, Sergi Reguilon has had uh, illness. Disappointed for him in some ways because he was playing so well. He can't seem to get between injuries, weird substitutions for other people getting sent off and his own sendings off. He just can't, uh, James, seem to get you know a run of games together to say, right, now I'm the left back. Yeah, I mean... And that, you do worry about that. And obviously, you know, when it's an impact injury, it's a bit different to sort of something, you know, muscular injury and training ground or whatever. But you do, you do worry about momentum seems to be quite important to him. And he, he does seem to be one of those players that is going to only improve with matches and confidence. And those little setbacks, particularly given Reguilon came on immediately scored and was very heavily involved in the second half. You do, you do you do wonder whether that is going to be a bit of a blow to him, and it's going to it's going to knock him back a little bit again. Obviously, he did very well for the assist for the first goal in the first half, but there were a few moments, particularly when he picked the ball up in his in his own half, where he gave it away quite a few times. And and actually, in the stadium, it wasn't entirely obvious why he had been substituted. And and there was actually a sense that maybe it was just a tactical thing, and that because he had lost the ball a few times, that Conte had kind of thought, well, let's put Reggie on. on. Well, it's actually, I think it, it was a muscular thing from what Conte was saying after. And, oh, okay. And it was right in front of us where the press box is and you could see it, it was a bit worrying because it was one of those where you thought, oh, has something, has something gone here? But we'll find out uh, today as we record or, or this week. But yeah, there was a real sense of like, oh, it's such bad luck on him for a player who's had so many of the, and, and Conte acknowledged that as well, that he, you know, he has had a lot of these little setbacks. So it would be such a shame when he, you know, finally establishes himself as first choice at Spurs. But, you know, the, the positive for, for Tottenham is that and Conte, again, to point to what he said afterwards, made the point that you should have competition. You know, it should be that players are pushing each other to get that place back. And t- for too often, this was something Mourinho actually used to talk about as well at Spurs, for too often it's been a really big deal if a player wasn't playing. And, and he made the point, I think, fairly that you know, that it should be the case that good players aren't playing and it should be that players are pushing each other to, to improve their level. And, and I think you probably saw that with Regulon. I mean, you know, he, I'm not suggesting that everyone will, who doesn't play for a few games, will come on and score after 30 seconds, but he looked like he had a lot of purpose out there. And he has he to. Was he was enjoying himself, yeah. He won yeah. the ball before. Yeah, he won the ball uh, really Before he well. scored the goal. So in uh, that 42 seconds or whatever it yeah, was, he exactly. won the ball back and scored the goal. Yeah, so like, you know, he's got to come on and play well because if he doesn't, he'll lose his place. Likewise, Doherty. And, you know, we, we forget that Lucas Moura has had a really good season, hasn't done a lot wrong, really, and he now can't get a game. And that's a good thing because when he does play, you know, and maybe this isn't the best thing for Lucas Moura given that he can sometimes be a bit over-exuberant, but he will know he has to play well um, and make an impression or he's not going to get games. Ditto Stephen Bergfine. I, I love that phrase, over-exuberant, because it brings me... I was going to talk about the midfield next, but I think I think most people listening will want us to move on to over-exuberance. So far, Christian Romero has made the most fabulous impression um, as a footballer and a bloke. He uh, likes to get stuck in. He's clearly a very good defender. He can pass the ball 
Um, and if you had any doubts about his passing ability, the introduction of, of Sanchez uh, uh, after an hour, and but suddenly the pass wasn't going quite right to Doherty each time. But that leveller he did on Richarlison, much <laughs> as fans, the home fans will have enjoyed it. And who doesn't like to see somebody putting somebody into the stand, provided there's no long-term damage. Now, allowing for the fact that whenever I see Argentinian footballers being marked um, by Brazilian footballers or the other way around, and you go, and you realise that there's a, there's a subtext to this, which is always upcoming World Cup qualifiers where they're hoping to reduce the other team's squad, there is an argument, let's, have the, let's do the dark side first, that that was a ridiculous tackle and a more fussy referee might have reached for a red card. Certainly it was an orange card, was it? I don't think it would have been a red card. I, I do. I, Your I mean, producer right does. Well, he's wrong. Ah. I, so that happened right in front of me, and I've, ah. not, I've not seen uh, I've not seen a replay of it. But it, it did look. I mean, obviously it was a foul, but it did look you a reckon? lot like he was going <laughs> in for a full-blooded challenge, and then Richarlison sort of knocked the ball away. No, well, I have seen the replays. And, and he knew he was going to clatter. He knew he was going to clatter him, but I don't think. He expected to be quite so far away from right. the ball when he did I've it. seen the replays. He absolutely cleaned him out and it was absolutely deliberate. Um, and it was, yeah. he was, um, I would say, now look, it didn't go, um, there wasn't, they weren't coming together. It was from the side, which is what saves him. His tackle was fully 18 inches off the ground. He takes him out just below the knee, both knees with a, with a, with a sweep for his right foot. Absolutely brilliant to watch. And those of us who who played on Hackney Marshes will say, "Oh yeah, I remember that." But uh, I, I, and I, it wasn't a red card. I, I, I totally agree with you, uh, James. But there, there's some very strange refereeing goes on in the Premier League, and he's giving referees opportunities at the moment. No, I said exactly the same, Danny, at the time because on our screens they show it. I said, "Yeah, that's that's a yellow and a half. That's yeah. not a yellow. It's not quite a red." But what what the thing is, it's almost like a loophole of the game. You just don't really get sent off for that because you're not quite meeting any of the thresholds. You're about three quarters of the way to all of the thresholds yes. for, yeah. for a straight red. But it, it's one of those where you're, you're saying, I'm going to hurt you as much as I possibly can. But it's a bit of a free hit as well because... I'm coming in from the that side. Was, that's what saved him for sure, yeah. But I'm going to hurt you as much as I possibly can. Sorry, sorry. I'm, I've, 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 while you've been talking, yeah. Charlie, I, I was paying attention to what you were saying, I promise. I've just watched a, I've just watched a video on, yeah. on Twitter. And it is exactly what I said. Like, he, he's going, he's going, Romero is going into that challenge to wipe the ball out and then to wipe the man out. And uh, Richardson knocks the ball out in front of him. And obviously the ball isn't there when Romero gets it. And, and obviously it's a clumsy challenge and he has intended to go through the man afterwards but I don't think it, it's just with the intention of getting the man I think he is this is perhaps misplaced but I think he was going for the ball as in well in which case I think he probably needs to see a doctor about his spatial awareness um. <laughs> <laughs> I love the best thing about it is afterwards he does the oh, I got the ball unbelievable. Like, he must be talking about a previous tackle where he got the ball I love I love that they still do this now and it's like it's Everyone's going to watch the replays and see how ludicrous this claim is. It's like, it must just be for their own amusement sometimes. Well, as I say, I, I always wonder when, when, when those particular players from those particular countries start going at each other. It happens in every game where they appear against each well, other. Well, it's, it's funny because early on in the game, they sort of tussled. And I said half-jokingly that, oh, the Brazil-Argentina mm. thing, mm. you know, it not really meaning anything by it. And then a few minutes later, it's absolutely <laughs> smashed him. Yeah, I felt, I mean, in, in, insofar as I felt sorry for any of Everton's players, it was Richarlison I did feel sorry for because he has completely become a, a total Premier League player. He's, uh, 
he puts so much effort into his game. He's a good player as well, but he puts so much effort into it. And to be uh, on the on the pointy end of a terrible team like Everton were last night, and to find yourself getting walloped, and I mean, he spent a lot of time uh, scraping himself off the ground because Dyer also, with much less, I thought, her uh, dark intent, had also levelled him at one stage. It was out of the touchline, um, and again, he he got played a ball in the second half. A ball was played forward to Richardson that you know it was nondescript. It was slowing down by the time it got to him. And it allowed another Spurs fan, I think Dyer, to just say, okay, well, you ball, everybody is going across the touchline here. And he got up and he could see the the, the look of, um, this is my life now. I'm playing up front in this Everton team. <laughs> I do think that tells you quite a lot about Everton and actually probably what Spurs' mentality was in that game, actually. Because if you, if you lose the game 5-0 and you're the one on the end of all the meaty challenges... Yeah. That, I think that's pretty damning. If you're losing 5-0, you want to be the one dishing out those challenges. Surely. Like Leeds were. At least at least Leeds yeah. went down 4-0, but they put in some 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 enforcing tackles. Well, I, I, th- I thought, I thought like half. a boxer who was well behind on points. I thought Richarlison kept going and, you you know, you, he went in for the challenges and he was the one who was getting, um, you know, on the, on the thin end of them. He was. I imagine some of our listeners might remember some games where Everton played Spurs and Richarlison has spent a lot of the game rolling around mm-hmm. trying to win fouls, trying to win penalties. And I suspect their sympathy might not have been I mean, quite at your level, Daniel. Even last night, and that challenge aside, he spent half the game on his ass last night. Yeah. Well, perhaps the, the other listeners are not quite as decent a human being as it turns out I am. <laughs> well, me neither. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about the midfield pairing because I think... Uh, there is a general feeling that as soon as Skip gets fit, he'll be in the team. What's your feeling about that? I mean, obviously last night meant that Harry Winks falls further down the, the pecking order if everybody's fit. I thought Benton Coeur was, without ever once, you know, making you think, oh my goodness, I must get my phone out and make a little film of him doing that. I thought he was, you know, in, in, a, in a million small ways, he was really, really effective. And Hoiberg had one of those games where he looks a bit... A bit more like a, a, a you know top half Premier League player than perhaps he has done at times this season. I've got to say, since since I had my, I think at the at the time I described it as a moment of clarity with Hoiberg, which I think was in the in the North London derby in October or November, September, uh, se- September even. Thank you. I, I, every time I've watched him, I've been looking at, I've been waiting for the kind of stray passes and the sort of clumsy like he receives the ball in awkward positions and then doesn't shift it quickly enough and then kind of turns and then loses possession of the ball quite easily. He does that quite a lot. And I, and I don't know if it's just because I've become conscious of it mm-hmm. since then. But even last night, that happened quite a few times. And I just don't think that happens as often with Skip. And it could it could be that perception thing. like that almost It's almost confirmation bias, yeah. isn't it? You're kind of looking for the negative things with Hoiberg, looking for the positive things with Skip. But I, I do think Skip and Ben Tanko, have we even seen Skip and Ben Tanko? They have no, no, we haven't. They haven't, no. um, they, haven't, they haven't played together. I mean, well, let's see it. Yeah, bring it on. Mm. Simple as that. Yeah, I think that will be the first choice. Skip, Skip just has a bit more uh, to his game, I think, than Hoybier. And, and and Hoybier does look a lot better. I mean, I think we all know Hoybier and Winks isn't the best partnership. It's not the best balance. I think was it you, James, who or someone mentioned the kind of comparison of Winks and Sissoko, oh, yeah, yeah, and the yeah. fact that yeah. you know that that didn't reason to it. Sissoko as well, we should say, helped Spurs' goal difference uh, on the on the weekend. That is, that is true. With that late goal against Arsenal. And he was at the game yesterday and in the dressing room. and uh, In the dressing uh, room? Yeah, a picture of him with Hoybier. 
The, that, uh, the, sorry, the, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't be allowed. The partnership that took Spurs to the top of the table, lest we forget. That shouldn't be allowed. He's in the he's place of another Premier League club. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be in a dressing room in a pandemic. What well, he'll, he'll be taking state secrets back to uh, <laughs> the Watford. They played Watford twice. They played Watford twice. They played them. Yeah. Can you imagine yes. when Roy Keane I, gets to hear that one of the Spurs <laughs> old players yeah. be in the dressing room? There'll be murders. Celebrating like they're winning the title. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I know we didn't. I know this isn't really for us to talk about, but uh, Sky's punditry of that Manchester derby after the game was absolutely shit. I thought it was absolutely awful. And I know people have been going about how box quote unquote box office it was. I thought it was absolute garbage. Go on, um, uh, uh, we, King, I, I, this podcast is Richards number one in the charts because we do talk about whatever we want. So plow pl- <laughs> on. Keen Richard, Richards and Redknapp all reverting to type. Uh, like like Keane just moaning about irrelevant stuff, Richard's laughing. I think I like it generally in a disrespectful way when uh, another pundit is talking about another club playing badly. Actually, to be fair, Redknapp actually made the better the better points, and he what? made some points that have. He he was the one who started talking about United having no sort of longer term vision, which I've now seen far more respected columnists put in their own words in the last kind of. It was interesting to me that in their own different way, both Roy Keane and Gary Neville um, were saying. United need to get stuck in, boot someone up in the air here. That's just bollocks, uh, but, though, but, isn't but, it? That's not, but, that's not why Manchester United the lost that game. The following day, on the radio station that I work for, Steve McLaren came on and having had 24 hours to think about the tactical difficulties they got into with Manchester City on the left-hand side, he came on and said, oh, they should have booted someone up in the air. This is a former, <laughs> this is a former England manager. That's your plan, is it? To do a Romero and hope that works? It worked last night, to be fair. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the, obviously there's so many hypocritical elements. I mean, Den Keane was saying they just need to chuck money at it, basically. Just chuck, you know, and it's like, but isn't, I swear that's what we've been bemoaning United have done. I just, thought, I just, I just didn't think there was any um, constructive analysis of the game. It was just a lot of like Roy Keane broad strokes getting angry, Michael Richards laughing, Jamie Redknapp sort of. Yeah, but I think into it, cliches. it is quite, it was, it was rubbish. It is. It's entertaining, and they probably think Monday Night Football is when they'll do the serious analysis of it. Well, I didn't watch Monday Night Football because I was at the game, so I've missed out. Record it. Okay, um, we'll have a quick break here. I've got one or two more things I want to talk about. But uh, so far, I think the the jollity on the show uh, has reflected a a wonderful night uh, for Spurs uh, in that game. And a a game that I think they had to win to keep them even remotely, or if you're Charlie Eccleshare, right at the front of the race for fourth place. That's among the things we'll talk about next here on The View from the Lane. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a... 
real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. You're listening to me, Danny Kelly, Charlie Eccleshare, and James Moore uh, from The Athletic. We talked about it being a good night for everybody off the pitch as well. I thought the way the stadium was lit up for uh, Ukraine was fantastic. But also, the way that the crowd reacted to, to Deli Ali, I thought, and you, you mentioned it earlier, that you know, it was a good time for Lampard to bring him on. But at the end, I'm, I'm sure you noticed, unless you're all rushing away to, to either get trains or to uh, polish up some top-quality copy. At the end, Hugo Lloris got hold of uh, Ali and walked him around the peripheries of the pitch so that although the stadium was emptying at an astonishing rate, he could get another round of applause from the Spurs fans that remained, a chance that they didn't get to say goodbye to him when he was transferred, you know, in that in that transfer window. And sometimes, I know that Hugo Lloris is having an odd an odd run with his form just now. But sometimes he does little tiny things and you think, oh, what a lovely human being. Did you notice that at the end that he, he took them he took them down? To, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, it was hashtag classy touch, that wasn't it? That was uh, the epitome of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a nice moment. I couldn't help but wonder, and there weren't many of them left in the ground by that point. If I was an Everton fan, I would have been really pissed off by that. Uh, I yeah. know, that's probably completely <clears throat> irrational. But it, it, would, it would have been incredibly annoying to see your team lose 5-0. And then have one of the players going, like, spent ages clapping the opposition team's fans. But no, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I think if you're being a bit more level-headed about that, I think you have to accept that that level of emotion, that bond between a player and uh, a fan base over that period of time. And like you say, he didn't get the opportunity to say goodbye because he left on deadline day in January. So, yeah, I, I, it was, it was a nice moment. He looked, he looked incredibly emotional. I've got to say, and it was a bit of a shame he was. Pretty bad in the game, really. I mean, to, to have concerns that that isn't going to be a good move for him, actually. It was no good. Absolutely right. I, I, I don't know where it's gone. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm desperate to say something, Charlie. I don't know where footballers who lose their form. I can't. With perhaps the exception of Danny Drinkwater, I can't remember another career going down yeah, so totally. steeply from peaks and heights to a place where 
I, I don't know what Delhi's ceiling of performance is anymore. I mean, without, without wanting to just kind of get stuck into Lampard again, just for the sake of it, like I do just didn't think that he's not going to be a good enough coach to get that back out of him. He needs to be like in a, in a system that is incredibly uh, precise, which ironically, maybe Conte would have been better, a better fit. But I, I, I thought like if he'd gone to kind of Bielsa's leads, obviously he's not there now, but you know, if you've gone somewhere like that, where the system is so regimented and everyone knows exactly what they're doing at any given point when the ball is at any part of the pitch like that would have been better for him to kind of get a bit of momentum and then kind of add all the other stuff on top but like in this Everton team that it, it is frankly just a complete shambles and a complete mess I really don't think he's going to thrive at all and that, uh, that is a big shame not not least for Everton who uh, are going to get relegated imagine if five years ago when he was at the very peak of his powers Deli Ali, when he was the person who's unusual and strange and counterintuitive movements on the pitch gave Spurs uh, another level um, to go back to Jack again. The chaos level. If you said five years ago, yeah, Deli Alley won't be playing for Spurs anymore. He'll have been replaced um, in that role by Matt Doherty. Yeah, I think it would be a very odd thing. Doherty's the new Ericsson. Yeah, I mean, well, there are a couple of things. One, I mean, I thought Everton wasn't a good move for Deli from the start and I only think that more now. But a thought occurred to me yesterday I was going to tweet it but then I couldn't be bothered for the aggro but the mind went back to uh, the semi-final the Champions League semi-final almost three years ago between Ajax and Tottenham and the guy who scored the winner for Ajax in the first game was Donny van der Beek and obviously Deli Ali was then heavily involved in the assist for Lucas Moura at the time these were two you know, Deli was maybe a little bit past his peak in retrospect but these were two of the most exciting players in Europe and I was thinking who's had the bigger fall from grace first of all which I think is genuinely a difficult one to know when you're watching van der Beek getting you know struggling through the game taken off Delhi not even starting for this wretched team and then which was the biggest surprise I mean I, I almost think at that point if you'd said Delhi's going to go on this big decline you might think oh yeah maybe is that I can just about squint and see that van der Beek seemed like an absolute star of the future and he's also in this Everton team and I, I guess it shows you know it's not as linear and as straightforward as we think but yeah it, it was just striking you had two of these players and, and have been on such a decline in those three years it's a reflection isn't it of the of the Dutch league I know they'd done it at um, all that young Ajax team that Spurs beat in the semi-final had done it to get them to the semi-final of the Champions League but it's so hard to tell you might be getting a Van Persie and you might be getting, read a long list of, of players who, who make their name in Dutch football. Matea Kersman tends Vincent, to be the name we Vincent go to. Janssen. Surely Vincent Janssen. Or Vincent Janssen. I just aren't quite up to it. Um, and in fact, none of that generation of the players that Ajax had that they sold on but have as yet, um, unless I've made it, I'm, I'm trying to think. No, the, I mean, Ziyech has done quite well at Chelsea. De Jong... He's, 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 quite just, good you know, he's, he's only just really start showing anything under Xavi because yeah. Xavi is trying to turn him into Xavi. Mm. No, they haven't. It hasn't quite happened for those. Look, that five 0 win means that um, uh, Spurs are back at least mathematically in the race for fourth place. Let's talk a lot more about that and whether or not it really is down to the two North London clubs in, in the next podcast, which will be Thursday. We'll also preview uh, the game against Manchester United, where Spurs will either cement. They're breaking of the win-lose, 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 or they return to type. They don't need to against a team um, that's lacking in confidence themselves. We'll talk about all of that 
on Thursday. Um, something. I- Can I just say one really quick sure. thing on that, Danny? Not to preview it properly, but the, the goal difference thing is important because it means if Spurs repeat the scoreline from this equivalent fixture last season at Old Trafford, they will be fourth on Saturday night. All they need to do is win 6-1 and they'll be fourth. Yeah, or if Manchester United repeat the result... Um, in North London from earlier in the season, the goal difference will be once again looking pretty skinny indeed. <laughs> we'll discuss all that on Thursday. Thank you very much for thank you very much for the idea that uh, your prediction of them finishing fourth could be coming true as soon as this weekend. One of the other things I think Spurs fans will want to uh, hear your views on is that uh, am I right? Is it quite early in the in the Levy season to be issuing the news about season tickets? Of course, the prices are frozen. Um, what possible excuse, other than the, the cost of heating the stadium, would they have for uh, putting them up uh, after a pandemic and uh, with the team, you know, until yesterday evening looking like they were going to be mid-table? And I, I think, am I right in thinking there's some issue about how quickly you have to get your season ticket this year? Yeah, the renewal deadline is the 29th of April, which is early. And I think a lot of fans are uh, frustrated by that and they want it to be moved back. I mean, I don't know, James, if that's something that's bothered you or that, that was already one was talking about before the game yesterday I know there had been a kind of few news stories knocking about that it was a good thing that the prices had been frozen which I suppose is true but yeah to have the deadline four matches I think it is before the end of the season or probably five if Arsenal ends up getting punted right to the end um, Hooray. does seem a bit odd and a bit unnecessary but then you know uh, from the conversations I had with people around me last night before the game it was all well I'm not going to renew that uh, is, is out of order doing it that early and then obviously they win the game 5-0 and suddenly they're thinking, yeah, yeah, fine, I'll, I'll renew it, it's all right, don't worry. Yeah, I don't really understand the reasoning. Well, I mean, I do understand the reasoning for that, but I, I don't really see there's much justification for that reasoning. And should say the THST, uh, the Sporters Trust, who we've had Cat and Martin on, on this podcast before, they, they are talking to the club, um, yeah, and urging them to move it, move it back, so... We'll see. Yeah, um, uh, and also when you've got a stadium this big, um, imposing arbitrary deadlines, um, I think it's, like, it's slightly, you can call their bluff, can't you? What are they going to do if, if, if half the people don't renew their season tickets at the appropriate, at the uh, prescribed date? It's not like I said. Well, I mean, look, they've not been setting out matches for, for this season, have they? So, I mean, are, are, is there really a queue of people like, like waiting to get a season ticket when people aren't even, and I know there are, non-season ticket holders coming to matches yeah. but to me that doesn't suggest there's like a massive number of people who are going to be willing to take on a season ticket if you can't even sell out a game on a Sunday afternoon against uh, Brentford or I had planned to end the podcast Irish. by talking about um, how many because the game was announced as a sellout last night how many uh, spare seats you see around you but since we agreed at the top of the podcast we'd only have sweetness and light following that victory over an all-powerful and previously all-conquering Everton team um, I think we should end um, right there before we start getting into what are those empty seats in the stadium it's been of course an absolute joy and isn't it great when Spurs win that the podcast I mean I know it's better listening Roy Keane style when they lose um, but it's just so nice hmm. to do it for us uh, when they win when it's when it's Jolly James instead of Muggy Moore <laughs> if I um, if I if I tried to make your life sound um, less than brilliant at the, uh, the top of the show that was purely for entertainment purposes and I wish you a, a brilliant day. Same to you, Charlie, and all of you listening. And if you're not already a subscriber to Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Spurs, including Jack's article this morning on Matt Doherty's uh, renaissance, as well as everything else that's on the site. It's an enormous amount of stuff. You can do so by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up for just £1 a month for six months. We'll be back on Thursday. Thank you for listening. 
The Athletic.